0: Many of us have people in our lives, speaking of opposition, who seem to want to make our life miserable, don't we? And uh, sometimes they try to keep you from accomplishing the thing that would make you successful. And this opposition and the regular battles that we face are something that we need to know how to handle. And we need to know how to respond when something like that comes against us. At one of my jobs, I had a co-worker who uh, was always creating issues. It seemed like you just worked through something, and two minutes later, there was another one. She was always blowing things up, so to speak, and that made it hard for me to work there. Uh, She was a jealous and insecure woman, and it made it uh, difficult, in fact, for lots of people who work there, not just me. And that opposition that I faced daily didn't stop until I left that place of employment and went to my next job So I'm sure that you have seen opposition around you Or coming against you Coming against other people What does opposition usually look like? Good question Ugly What forms does it take? In your face? Oh yeah, confrontational Yeah, anything else? Gossip, yeah Passive aggressive Yeah there's lots of forms it takes And we all deal with it It can be in family problems that we have It can be in our jobs It can be uh, with our neighbors (laughs) It can be with other drivers on the road But we all deal with opposition in our lives And even though it's a real physical problem That we're dealing with There's also a spiritual dynamic to it That we have to understand So we can really effectively deal with that in our lives And today in Ezra The survivors who went back and began to rebuild the temple in the city of Jerusalem are facing opposition. So let's look at Ezra chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. When the enemies of Judah and Benjamin heard that the exiles were building a temple for the Lord, the God of Israel, they came to Zerubbabel and to the heads of the families and said, Let us help you build, because like you, we seek your God and have been sacrificing to him since the time of Esau. Hadan, king of Assyria, who brought us here. But Zerubbabel, Joshua, and the rest of the heads of the family of Israel answered, You have no part with us in building a temple to our God. We alone will build it for the Lord and the God of Israel, as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, commanded us. Then the people around them set out to discourage the people of Judah and make them afraid to go on building. They bribed officials to work against them and frustrate their plans during the entire reign of Cyrus, king of Persia. Down to the reign of Darius, king of Persia. At the beginning of the reign of Xerxes, they lodged an accusation against the people of Judah and Jerusalem. <clears throat> and in the days of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Bishlam, Mithridath, Taba'al, and the rest of his associates wrote a letter to Artaxerxes. The letter was written in Aramaic script and in the Aramaic language. Rahim, the commanding officer, and uh, Shimshai, the secretary, wrote a letter against Jerusalem to Artaxerxes the king as follows. Rehum, the commanding officer, and Shimshai, the secretary, together with the rest of their associates, the judges, officials, and administrators over the people from Persia, Uruk, and Babylon, the Elamites of Susa, and the other people whom the great and honorable Ashurbanipal deported and set Settled in the city of Samaria and elsewhere in the Trans-Euphrates. This is a copy of the letter they sent him. To King Artaxerxes, from your servants in Trans-Euphrates, the king should know that the people who came up to us from you have gone to Jerusalem and are rebuilding that rebellious and wicked city. They are restoring the walls and repairing the foundations. Furthermore, the king should know that if this city is built and its walls are restored, No more taxes, tribute, or duty will be paid, and eventually the royal revenues will suffer. Now, since we are under obligation to the palace, and it is not proper for us to see the king dishonored, we are sending this message to inform the king so that a search may be made in the archives of your predecessors. In these records, you will find that this city is a rebellious city, troublesome to the kings and provinces, a place with a long history of sedition. That is why this city was destroyed. We inform the king that if this city is built and its walls are restored, you will be left with nothing in Trans-Euphrates. The king sent this reply. To Reim, the commanding officer, Shimshay, the secretary, and the rest of their associates living in Samaria and elsewhere in Trans-Euphrates. Greetings. The letter you sent us has been read and translated in my presence. I issued an order, and a search was made, and it was found that this city has a long history of revolt against kings and has been a place of rebellion and sedition. Jerusalem has had powerful kings ruling over the whole of Trans-Euphrates, and taxes, tribute, and duty were paid to them. Now issue an order to these men to stop work so that this city will not be rebuilt until I so order. Be careful not to neglect this matter. Why let this threat grow to the detriment of the royal interests? As soon as the copy of the letter of King Artaxerxes was read to Reum and Shimshay, the secretary and their associates, they went immediately to the Jews in Jerusalem and compelled them, by force to stop. Thus, the work on the house of God in Jerusalem came to a standstill until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. Lord, we just thank you for this scripture. We thank you, Father, for what it shows us about handling opposition and how in our own lives, Lord, we can learn to listen to you. And so, Father, we pray that you just speak to us through your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. So what this shows us is, you know, just like we have opposition and we try to know what to do, these people had opposition come against them when they were trying to do the very thing that they knew God had called them to do. And we, when we try to rebuild our life, the devil will try to stop us. I mean, that's a fact that we need to know. So based on that, let's look at what these people uh, encountered and how they dealt with it. First of all, there was this group of Assyrians who came and said, hey, We've been worshiping God since the king of eshar And uh, this was about 200 years earlier. So they're saying, for 200 years, we've been worshiping your God. But in fact, they were really enemies of the Jewish people. And it sounded kind of good at first. You know, like here they are doing this massive project, massive building project. And some people from around the area come and say, oh, yeah, we worship your God, too. Let us help you. Well, they needed discernment to know how to handle this because the history here was that Assyria had invaded northern Israel. They really were their enemies. They had actually just added the God of Israel, they had taken Jehovah and just kind of put him in the whole pagan. Pagan mix of their idols and and uh, the things they worshipped, and so it was you know a partial truth, but they really weren't worshiping God. They were just adding it into everything else they already did, and the Assyrian influence actually on those northern tribes of Israel had diluted the faith of the Jewish people. And when the Assyrians said, "Yeah, we worship God too," yeah, uh huh, they're just twisting the truth, just just um, saying, "Yeah, that." We worship him and it really wasn't the same thing that what it meant to the Jewish people to worship God to the Jewish people was not like what the Assyrians were talking about because to them they knew that they needed to worship Jehovah alone as the one true God so here's a group question why is that that we need to make sure that we worship Jehovah God as the one true God Other things are tempting. It's a commandment, yes. (laughs) That's probably the most important thing. Exodus 20, verses 3 and 4 said, You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven, above or on earth, beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. So what he's saying here is that Don't worship other idols. And that's what had happened to the northern tribes of Israel. And that's what the Assyrians were doing. So it wasn't really pure worship of Jehovah God. It was any time, in fact, when we ourselves add anything in to the mix of what we're doing when we're worshiping God and, and making it about something other than him. God says we're not supposed to have anything come between him and us in our worship. So to work with these pagan people to rebuild that temple would have made it impure. It would have been a problem with those people coming alongside the people of Israel and working with them. It would have been an influence and subverted the plans and the destiny of the people of God. And sometimes in our job, people might use tactics like this against us, too. You know, they, they seem to be saying good things, but there's this hidden agenda or this thing that they're allowing in their lives that if, if, if we allow them to speak into our life, it actually perverts the plans of God for us. So we need to be careful. We need to use discernment when we're dealing with people and the people we have the closest relationships with. We need to make sure that we're seeking guidance from God and using what they used to call it a sixth sense. Hey, it's not the sixth sense. It's, it's the Holy Spirit in us. It gives us wisdom and discernment to know how to handle things. And so we want to be careful in what we allow into our lives. And so these people, these Jewish people, thank goodness, realized this was not a good thing, and they said, "Ah, uh, no, thank you. But then what happened? The truth came out because then the people started boldly coming against them. So they showed who they really were. These wolves in sheep's clothing, it was—it was, became wolves. And so how do we also handle opposition? Let's look at what the people of Israel did. First thing we need to know is learn how... The enemy works. Know the MO of the enemy. The people came, the enemies came against them. And they tried to discourage them. They tried to make them afraid. They bribed people to work against them and frustrate their plans. I mean, they, they could hardly work for all the stuff coming against them. And that's just the way the enemy comes against us. The devil comes against us. Jesus called the devil a thief. And he said in John 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Because you see, God's plans for us are that we have this full, abundant life. And the devil wants to steal or kill or destroy anything of God in your life. He wants to steal your destiny, what God has called you to do. And he uses the same methods that those enemies used against the Jewish people. He tries to discourage us. That is the biggest weapon against us. If he can get us discouraged, we aren't going to spend time worshiping God. We aren't going to spend time reading his word. If he can make us fearful and then we're afraid of what's going to happen, then that just opens us up to more attack of the enemy. If he can subvert God's will, if he can frustrate the plan and call of God on your life, then he's got you where he wants you. The enemy will stop at nothing, steal, kill, destroy. That's his M.O. So how many would, of you would say, this is just a raise your hand kind of thing. How many of you would say, yeah, I've seen that kind of stuff operating in my life? Yeah, all of us, all of us. Luke 8:12 said, those along the path are the ones who hear, and the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so they may not believe and be saved. See, that's what the devil wants. He wants to steal even the word of God from our hearts because it's powerful. And then we don't have anything to encourage us when we're feeling discouraged. We don't have anything to build us up and to protect our souls from the attack of the enemy. That shows us the importance, too, of reading God's word. Daily we need to be in God's word, seeing what he has for us because that's where the power comes from. From the word of God in our time and prayer. Meditating on it and hiding it in our hearts. Psalm 119, 11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. That's one of those verses we learn very early. If we are attending church as kids, we all learn that. Um, Thy word have I hidden my heart that I might not sin against you. And why is that? Not just so we don't sin But so we have the strength and the power and the wisdom that we need. It just shows us the importance of reading God's word daily and having that word in our hearts. How do we get it in our hearts? We read it. We we think about it. We go over it. Again, during the day, we meditate on it. Think about, Lord, what does that mean to me? And allow it to get into our very core of who we are. As we look also in Ezra 4, verse 5 tells us that the attacks of the enemy went on during the entire reign of Cyrus down to the reign of Darius the First. So we learned in the first chapter in Ezra 1.1, 1, 1, it says in the first year of the reign of Cyrus, he sent those people back. So if he reigned for 30 years, which he did, and then there were a couple of other kings for short terms for eight more years, and then came Darius. So for 38 years, they were trying to rebuild with all of this attack coming against them, the discouragement, the fear, this working against the plans and trying to make things not work out right, and they had, had to deal with it each day. That's kind of like the Christian life, isn't it? You know, it's like it doesn't let up, right? The, te- the devil tries to get you. But when we have the strength of God's word in our life and his power in us, we can handle it. We can come through that valley and come out victorious. Uh, what it shows, too, is that the enemy, he just comes around and picks his moments. I'm sure it wasn't like all one week and then they didn't do anything for another week. He picked his moments. These people picked their moments when the people were most vulnerable. And that's what the devil does with us. He sees when we're tired or when we've just come through a tough time. And when we're vulnerable. And if we receive the discouragement, if we receive that fear, we take it and we make it part of us. If we receive that frustration, then we open ourselves up to even a greater attack by the enemy. What we need to do is take that and give it to God and say, Lord, Wash this off of me. I'm dealing with this attack, Lord. I need your strength and your power and your wisdom to get through it. An example of how the enemy works is when Jesus was in the wilderness, uh, preparing for his ministry. Remember, after he was baptized in the Jordan, he went, went out into the wilderness, and the Holy Spirit just ministered to him, and he spent time preparing for 40 days for that ministry, praying and fasting. And the devil came and tried to get him to quit and tried to get him him to give up. Tried to get him to actually to sin, which would have been a big problem if he's supposed to be our savior and sinless. And he really worked him over. But Jesus answered everything the devil said with the Lord's word, with God's word. And he resisted the enemy. And then it tells us at the end of that time, Luke 4, 13, when the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him. Until an opportune time. So that's what's going to happen. I mean. that How he works. He looks for those opportune times. To come against you. So when you're having a tough time. You know this is super important. When you're going through tough stuff. It's super important to be in here. And that's where you're going to get your strength. That's where you're going to get the power. That's where you're going to get the wisdom. Is through being in God's word. Because he's going to try and discourage you and frustrate you. We, oh yeah, yeah. But listen, in Jesus Christ we can be victorious. This isn't a sad thing. This is a know the attack of the enemy. Because then we aren't looking at the situations and the opposition and getting all wound up. But we're looking at God and our relationship with him. So to handle that opposition, we need to learn how the enemy works. And then second, we need to be prepared for those attacks by reading the word for sure. Uh, But why is that? Because it tells us in Ephesians 6 that we're to put on the full armor of God so we can take our stand against the devil's schemes. And then in verse 13, it says, therefore, put on the full armor of God. So when the day of evil comes, you will be able to stand your ground. And, having, and after you have done everything to stand. So the armor of God, it's righteousness and truth, salvation, peace, faith, prayer, that power of the Holy Spirit. So how do you put on the armor of God? Group question. Know the word, know the word. yes. What else? Prayer, yes, what else? Worship. Worship. Yeah, live in the power of the Holy Spirit. Surround yourself with other people who keep the armor on, yes. There's one other thing. This is all really good. There's one other thing, repentance. Repentance. That's what helps us be able to put that armor on. If we've done something that's not truthful if we've done something that's not righteous if we've compromised any of those things we need to repent and allow god to help us put that back on first peter 5 7 to 9 says cast all your anxiety on him that's talking about jesus cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. So Peter says, you know, give it to him and then stand firm. And then James says, submit yourself then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. James 4, 7. So that tells us that first we submi- we give this the situation to the Lord. We submit ourselves to Jesus Christ, and then we resist the attack of the enemy. So if we've done that and discouragement comes back at you or fear comes back at you, resist. Don't say, "Okay, I'll just take that back. I guess I'm just meant to be fearful and discouraged." No, resist, resist. That says when that comes, you say. Okay, God, I don't want this spirit of fear. I don't want this spirit of discouragement. I don't want this subvertive attacks of the enemy. Lord, I'm giving it to you. Lord, wash that off of me. I break any agreement, any fellowship with any of those spirits of the enemy coming against me. I don't want any of that. I give it to you, God. Just wash it off of me by the power of the blood of Jesus. And instead, Father, fill me with your strength. With your Holy Spirit, give me your wisdom. Give me hope. Give me peace. Pray for what you want God to put in your life instead. And then trust him and resist. Resist. Don't take it. Resist. That's the way we can be prepared. That's how we're prepared for battle. We're wearing that armor. We're surrendering all the junk to God. We're resisting the attack of the enemy. And we're spending time, part of that resistance is spending time in the word and worshiping him each day. We can only do it if we're prepared and armed with the word of God and his power in our lives because of our faith in Jesus Christ. And then the third thing, to handle opposition, Is don't give up These people dealt with those attacks For 38 years Don't give up And we'll find that even more Happened next week In the following Weeks even more happened But don't give up Don't take it personally I think sometimes we take it personally And what we really need to do is look and say Okay this person Is opposing me Causing trouble for me but who's really Behind it The devil, he's just using a willing participant to attack you. (laughs) But it's really the enemy of our souls, the devil, not that person. And so when you know what the source of the attack is, then we know who the real enemy is, and we know that God can give us the strength to handle it. Verse 6 in this chapter told us that at the beginning of the reign of Xerxes, these people lodge a complaint. And this is the Xerxes of the book of Esther, uh, which gives us a deeper understanding maybe of why, remember when we were studying the book of Esther, why King Xerxes agreed with Haman to send out that stupid edict to kill off all the Jewish people. He's probably thinking, well, yeah, I've had this other letter, you know, so <laughs> he, they probably thought, yeah, that's a good thing to do. So they send a letter to him, and they lodge an accusation against the Jewish people. And what they say is a combination of false accusations and twisted facts. Because at that time, there's no rebellion going on. There's no wickedness going on. The only wickedness going on was them trying to attack the Jewish people. And so because there were these isolated instances, the king says, oh, yeah, because, you know, when you look down through a long hundreds of years of history, it kind of condenses those things. And so because of that, they kind of twisted those facts a little bit. And the reply back from the king then is, oh yeah, stop that, stop that. Immediately compel them to stop. And he said, don't let that city be rebuilt until I say so. And so they were forced to stop the building. And part of the record of what actually happened when they were compelled to stop is that those, some of those recently rebuilt walls were torn down, things were burned And this is the report that Nehemiah hears in Nehemiah 1. Starting at verse 2, Hananiah, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, Those who survived the exile are back in the province and are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. And when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. Have you ever had a situation like that where it seems like, you know, you're moving ahead and then something comes along and basically sets you back? It's kind of like they say, one step forward, two steps back. Yeah, and it seems like, man, am I ever going to get past this? And as long as we live our lives, there's going to be attacks. But when we follow Jesus Christ there is an assurance from God that his will will be done and we can trust in him. Yes, there are times that are difficult. There are times that we don't see how it will change. But don't give up. Don't give up. Keep following him. Uh, the work of the, on the house of God came to a standstill then until that second year of the reign of Darius. And during that time, those people had to pray and seek God just like Nehemiah, they came before God, they wept, and they poured out their heart to him, and they asked him for his intervention, for his strength, just like we can do. And just because the answers aren't quick and coming does not mean that they aren't coming. In God's time and in God's way, he will answer. As long as you and I are committed to following Jesus Christ and doing his will our times of trial and opposition are all part of this process Of becoming like Jesus Christ If we surrender to him uh, His will is done in our lives When we surrender and follow him And we obey what he called us to do But we don't want to quit We want to keep following him 2 Corinthians 4.1 Paul talks about this He said therefore since through God's mercy We have this ministry We do not lose heart That's it Don't lose heart. Just keep following him and trusting him. Don't lose heart. Paul said further down in this passage at verse 7, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. See, he realized that within him, he compared all of us to jars of clay, and he said that there's this all-surpassing power. So, Here we go again. Surpassing how much? All. All of the things that come against us. All of the things that are attacks of the enemy. God's power surpasses them all. And we have that power within us. And it's his power, not our power, that gets us through. Verse 8, we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. God's power. Perplexed, but not in despair. Through God's power, persecuted but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed, we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our bodies. That's the goal, is that through all of this stuff we're encountering, through everything we're doing, yes, we're following the call of God on our life, but it's part of the overall purposes and plans of God. And when we're part of that The goal of our lives is that Jesus Christ would be revealed in us in everything that we do. There was a word that I read given by an evangelist recently, and and the title was, Your destiny will not be held back by the enemy. And that just rang true in my spirit, amen? Because our destinies are not held back by the enemy. When we are following Jesus Christ and we are not listening to the junk of the enemy, our destiny will not be held back by him. The destiny of these people in Ezra would not be held back by the enemies. God's purposes and plans would be revealed and would come to pass. And for us, Jesus told us in John sixteen thirty three, I have told you these things, so that in me you might have peace. You have God's peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. So don't give up. Hang in there because as we follow Jesus Christ, yes, there will be trouble. Yes, there will be opposition. There will be problems, persecution, opposition. But take heart. Don't be fearful. Don't fret. Don't quit, because Jesus has overcome. And in him, we also are overcomers. Let's stand as we close. I just ask that you bow your heads as we close. There's two things I see here for us today that God would just really speak to us about. And the first thing is that we need to be prepared by submitting our life to God and making sure that we're daily wearing that armor of God, that we're daily reading his word. And if you think, you know what, I I really need to be a little more prepared each day for what I'm facing, and you just want to make a commitment today that you're going to be more prepared, raise your hand, please. Thank you. Thank you. And then the second thing is that maybe you're dealing with such a tough situation, and I know some, some people are, where it's just heavy and it's hard, And God would say, don't quit today, hang in there. And if you want to make a commitment today that you are not going to quit, you are going to hang in there with God and see him lead you through the valley to come out victorious. Just raise your hand. Amen. Thank you, God. Lord, I thank you that no matter what we're going through, no matter what the enemy throws at us, no matter the opposition, the persecution, The discouragement, Lord God, we can give it to you. And Lord, you fill our souls with your peace and your power and your grace. Lord, we just lay it all down at your feet. We don't want any of that junk of the enemy. We do say we break agreement with any of his attacks. We won't receive that discouragement, that fear, that abuse that perversion of God's plans. Lord, we lay it at your feet. Thank you, Jesus, that instead you just wash that off of us, Lord God. You fill us up with your Holy Spirit. We just ask you, Holy Spirit, fill us up from the top of our head to the soles of our feet with your power, your assurance, your wisdom, your guidance, Lord God. We thank you, Father, for what you're doing in each of our lives today. We just receive what you have for us. No holding back. Just want everything you have for us, Lord God. We surrender to you. Lord, give us the strength to hang in there and not quit. To walk the way that you have ordained for us. Holding tightly onto your hand.